In today's episode, we'll talk about chapbook contests. Are they good? Are they rotten? <laughs> Welcome to episode five of The Chapbook. I'm your host, Noah Stetzer. And I'm Ross White. Noah and I are directors and editors at Bull City Press, which publishes chapbooks and occasionally full-length books of poetry, fiction, and nonfiction. We also run the Frost Place Chapbook Competition, so we've got a little expertise in this area. We started this podcast to talk about our love of chapbooks, to demystify the publishing process, and today the contest process, and share chapbook news and happenings. So you're a writer, you've got your chapbook manuscript together for the first time, and now you want to get it published. And it just seems like the only way to do that is to spend one bazillion dollars submitting to contests. Right. It looks like there's a contest just about every month throughout the year. Just about every day. <laughs> there's a new one starting. <laughs> We should say up front that what we're talking about today is not every mode of submission, just the contest. Sometimes people will ask us about open reading periods and say something like, well, I hope to win your open reading period. And I, I guess it would feel like a win to have your chapbook accepted for publication. We're really specifically talking about contests that have a prize. I think we're also specifically talking about contests that have a fee to submit. Yes, they, those are usually tied hand in hand unless some publisher has a very generous benefactor who's like, I'm just going to give this money away. But the fact of the matter is most chapbook publishers are small. They're independent. They're doing this thing because they love it. So the fees for a contest, uh, for a chapbook contest like this, usually range somewhere between $10 and $30, would you say? I think that's about right. And honestly, if I ever run for president, I'm going to be the guy at the podium in the gloves saying the fees are too damn high. <laughs> <laughs> So with that kind of a fee structure, about how many entries do you think go into a typical chapbook contest in Ooh, your estimation? That's a really good question. And, you know, we work at one press. We're friends with a number of other presses, but we're by no means friends with every chapbook publisher out there. We haven't even heard of all of those publishers. So we're going to talk from our limited experience today. We may have some things wrong, but from what I can glean, the average chapbook competition is bringing in somewhere between 250 and 950 entries. And I'll go ahead and tell you that in an average year, the Frost Place chapbook competition generally brings in about 450 to 480 submissions. That number has been pretty consistent over the last three or four years. And I can tell you from my experience working on the Frost Place, how those that large number of submissions get processed. In the case of the Frost Place contest, we have a pool of readers and we all take part in reading each of the submissions to winnow down the selection to a small number that get delivered to the final judge. We try to be very transparent about that. We we tell people up front that each chapbook is going to be read by a minimum of two readers. All of our readers have got MFA degrees. And then if those two readers disagree, a third reader will come in and serve as a tiebreaker. 
if a book has two yes votes, it will then move on to the semifinalist round. From there, 10 semifinalists are going to be chosen by a committee to go to the final judge. The final judge will read those 10 manuscripts and choose one. So a lot of different readers in that process, but that might not be true at every single chapbook contest. I think another question that comes to mind is we talk about the fees and we talk about the number of entries. So 250 being sort of the minimum number of entries and $10 being a minimum fee gets us to a gajillion dollars because I'm bad at math. (laughs) This is why you became a poet. That's exactly right. So where does that money go? And the answer is submittable. Submittable takes it all. <laughs> okay, look, I you know, I'm I'm joking around. The fact of the matter is that submittable is super easy to use. And so a lot of presses do it, especially if you have a complicated workflow where you're going to have several readers and you need to be able to put votes on and make notes on a manuscript along the way. Submittable has gotten incredibly, incredibly expensive. I have this secret hope that one day somebody will come along, maybe some beautiful nonprofit will come along and create a submissions manager and make it available to small literary presses at a pittance or at a fraction of the fee. Even like a third of what submittable charges would be at the upper end of some magazine's budgets. So we need some help. But That's one of the places that a lot of the fees go. It's a surprising amount. And I think another place is the judge. Uh, We were talking about the flow of submissions going through readers and semifinal and finalist stage before it reaches a judge's desk. Some of the money that's collected pays for that judge. Uh, And oftentimes that judge is a pretty high profile writer. Famous poets don't work for free. (laughs) Well, sometimes they do because they're super kind, but we shouldn't expect them to. We should pay writers. And in the spirit of that, some of the fee goes towards a prize that goes to the winning manuscript. And chapbook prizes can be a cash prize, but sometimes innovative presses will add kind of cool things to their prize to make their prize unique. Obviously, I'm going to chime in with the Frost Place and talk about winning uh, a week's long stay at the Frost Place in the White Mountains. Yo, a week to live and write with the ghost of Bobby Frost tickling the back of your neck? Come on. That's gold. (laughs) There is no price you can put on that. But I don't want us to just shill for the competition that we work on. Another place that the money often goes is towards paying the readers. A number of chapbook contests are going to use volunteer readers, but there are some contests that are are going to pay people a very, very small fee per manuscript, or they may buy a gift for the readers at the end of the process. They may pay them a lump sum, regardless of how many they get through. And that usually works out to about a tenth of minimum wage. So there's a lot to think about, you know, as we set up ourselves to submit manuscripts to these chapbook contests. Well, you also have to recognize that not every chapbook that wins a contest is necessarily going to sell very many copies. And sometimes the chapbook contest exists so that it can subsidize the printing of that book or maybe even another book or two in that press's list. Sometimes the chapbook 
contest revenue is going to pay for the the staff, the editorial staff, the overhead, the cost of typesetting, the cost of the cover art, the cost of the cover design. There are a lot of costs that go into making a book. So if I want to navigate my way through these contests, uh, there seems to be one, as you said, almost every day. I'm wondering what might be some advice we might share. I like that you phrased that as a question since I know you have tons of excellent advice. Well, I do. And I'm glad you said that because I think that it, it was easy at the beginning for me to consider submitting my manuscript. In the same way I submit to journals. And I'm realizing as time has passed that submitting uh, a manuscript is really a different kind of animal, particularly when it comes to these contests, because I needed a budget. They're very expensive uh, once they start racking up. Uh, and so I think, you know, one of the things I learned the hard way was to, to really think of my manuscript in a different way. Uh, than I do my journal submissions. And when you're setting your budget, that means you've got to do a little bit of planning. You need to know which contests you want to submit to. One way of looking for those contests is to use Entropy and use their where to submit. They keep the archives up so you can go back through the last year and see which presses are going to be open and have contests and what those contests look like. So map out your year. It is really tempting. You know, you get, you know, you get the email from a friend or you see the tweet and you're like, oh, here's a new contest. Well, I'll just, I'll throw my manuscript in there. But boy, it can lead to burnout fast. Right. I do think spending a little time researching the press to find out who they are and what kinds of things are they publishing. I always think it's a great idea to have a book or two published by that press in my hand so I know the kind of books they're making and the kinds of writers they're publishing. I think it's really important that you're looking at who those other writers that they've published are because you know who your peers are as a writer. You know who your work is in conversation with. And sometimes those peers are aspirational still, absolutely. But if you look at a press and they've never published anybody you've ever heard of, that might be a press that might not be a place that you'd be thrilled to be published. I think also taking a good hard look and careful look at the guidelines that they, that they put out for their contest is really helpful in determining if this is going to be a place you want to send your manuscript for, the, for that year's budget, if you will. Sometimes the guidelines are going to give you really crucial information about how the contest operates. And that's the yardstick that you're going to use to figure out if this contest feels like a fit for you. Do they have information about who the readers are? Do they have information about how manuscripts move through the process? You may want to know what their turnaround time looks like. When do they usually make the announcement? If that's important to you, that will often be in the guidelines. And of course, the guidelines often will tell you who the judge, the final judge will be. And I think it's good to, to think pretty clearly about where you fit with that judge. Will you be thrilled to be selected by that person and associated with them? Are they a writer that you feel some affinity with? Noah, do you need to cater to the judge's tastes? Do you have to say, well, this judge writes this kind of fiction or this judge writes this kind of poetry. 
So I, I need to be doing that in order to submit to them. No, absolutely not. I think it's good to know who the judge is and to be familiar with their work. But I also think it's okay to find out a little bit about the judge outside of their work. If you can find an interview or a profile on the author, that gives you a little more insight into the kind of working writer they may be. I think another aspect in the guidelines that's really helpful is what do they say the prize is? I mean, beyond the publishing of your book. Yeah, if you assume that there are maybe 400 entries at whatever fee they're charging, does the prize seem fair? Noah introduced me to a term I didn't know a little bit earlier, the 50-50 raffle. The winner of the prize is not going to take home half the contest fees. But you can kind of say, oh, $1,000 as the prize. That seems sort of fair at this fee. Whereas you could also say, wait a sec, this is a $25 entry fee and a $250 prize? I don't think so. And again, I think that calculation gets made long before the deadline for the contest presents itself. And one other thing we should say about prizes is that cash isn't the only prize. Some presses offer really cool intangibles along with their prize. I think all the time about Two Sylvia's Press, which is just an amazing press. And they offer a trophy. And it's a cool looking trophy. And I have to admit, I have eyed that contest over and over again, because that trophy would be a sacred object were I to win it. I want that trophy. It's just cool. And so look for those intangibles that tell you something about the personality of the press and that you'd be proud to participate in or win. On the flip side of that, something to look for that that I always recommend is if this is a place that has extended their deadlines in the past. Uh, I'm always suspicious of a press uh, with a contest with a fee that extends their deadlines. And I'm suspicious because I ask myself, are they legitimately uh, seeking broader selection in the manuscripts or are they looking for more contest fees to reach some sort of minimum amount of money that this contest has to, to generate? I always assume they are looking for more money because they haven't read all those manuscripts yet when they make the decision to extend the deadlines. There's no way they've had a chance to look at all of those things and make some decisions. So it's all about money. To my mind, there is one excuse and only one for extending a contest deadline. And that is if in the last 72 hours, the platform that you're using has technical difficulty, then I think it's okay to extend because about 50% of the manuscripts that are going to come in in any given contest are going to come in in the final 72 hours. So if Submittable were to crap out for a day in there, I'd be like, okay, you can extend for a couple days. And I say a couple days so that you have a chance to let people know. But other than that, no, uh-uh. Well, now, I also think there's the, there's, there's the slight chance that when you've set up your deadline that you weren't aware that you were making your deadline the same day as like Memorial Day or something like that. And so maybe, maybe you want to give, you know, like the weekend or holidays aren't the best time to set up deadlines. So no. you extend it a couple of days when no. you realize that. <laughs> no, you have a calendar, small presses. You can look at it before you set your deadlines. <laughs> You're very pro calendar. <laughs> I'm very pro calendar. 
<laughs> Look, here's the fact of the matter. A lot of these contests exist because running a small press is a difficult kind of thing to do. And because the average chapbook really doesn't sell that many copies. If every writer bought a lot more books, we wouldn't need contests. If every dollar spent on contests went to the buying of books, we wouldn't need contests or maybe we wouldn't need them as much. But it's also not fair to say, well, writers, this is your fault. No, it's not. It's an intractable problem. And so the contest landscape is going to continue to exist and maybe even proliferate until somebody figures out the the stunning solution. We don't have it. Absolutely. I, I think one of the things is to just go into this contest landscape with your eyes open and to have a plan. Make a determination which contests are attractive to you. Educate yourself on what it takes to participate in those individual contests and set a budget and stick to it. If you like the podcast, why not go ahead and click subscribe or better yet, tell a friend. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and all the other major pod places. Every review matters for a new podcast like ours. So if you have a moment, let us know what you think. You can find out what we and our friends at Bull City Press are up to by following us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Bull City Press on both. Or you can visit us online at BullCityPress.com. You can find me on Twitter at Ross White. And you can find me on Twitter at DC Noah. Or you can email us at chapbook at BullCityPress.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. 